A reading from the book of Mark. As soon as Jesus and the disciples left the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. He came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. Then the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sunset, they brought to him all who were sick or possessed with demons, and the whole city was gathered around the door. And he cured many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak, because they knew him. In the morning, while it was still very dark, he got up and went out to a deserted place, and there he prayed. And Simon and his companions hunted for him. When they found him, they said to him, Everyone is searching for you. He answered, Let us go on to the neighboring towns, so that I may proclaim the message there also. For that is what I came out to do. And he went throughout Galilee, proclaiming the message in their synagogues and casting out demons. Word of God, word of life. Thanks be to God. Grace and peace to you from God, our creator, from our savior, Jesus Christ, and from the Holy Spirit, the one who is present wherever you are. So I don't know if you've had an experience like this in the last year, but recently I saw this photograph and it was a picture of the Lake Nokomis Church Council. And uh, they were all sitting at a table in the conference room, 10 people around a table sitting side by side, no masks, no social distancing. And when I saw that, I mean, I knew it was taken in January or February last year, but I still did this little double take. And in my mind, these questions went through my head. Why are they sitting so closely? Why aren't they wearing masks? What are they doing? Shouldn't they be safer than this? It's this little double take we do, how the world has sort of changed our brains. And it, it's happened to me more than once when I'm maybe reading a, a, a novel or watching something on TV or even just hearing something that happened pre-pandemic. I, I jump into this, oh, wait, they can't do that. They shouldn't be doing that. That's not safe. Where's their mask? <laughs> this is how our brains have shifted. And so I did it again this week as I was uh, looking at this story from Mark chapter one, because there is quite a theme here building in Mark about the crowds clamoring around Jesus. And when those crowds begin to come, I think, oh, wait, they shouldn't be doing that. They shouldn't be gathering. They should be separate. Wear their masks. And of course, this happened um, years and years ago. Uh, but still, I, I have this thought in my head. So the crowds come. It is a repeated theme. If you have seen our Bible scrapbook uh, for the passage for this week, you'll see that Emma Horstman, who made uh, this scrapbook page, underlined the verse that says that evening after sunset, uh, people brought to Jesus all the sick. And then again later, she um, underlined another verse where the disciples come looking for Jesus, who has just tried to find a place of solitude and quiet. And the disciples say, Jesus, what are you doing? Everyone is looking for you. These, these crowds. Now, before the pandemic, the crowds might have just been a, like a blip in my radar. Like, oh, yeah, there were crowds. And now there's something I'm paying attention to. What is it that has so many people going to find this Jesus, seeking desperate, desperately to find this Jesus? 
So in the story before us today, it is a healing story. And, and we can relate to this because we are sort of searching. We are, we are a, a global crowd searching for a healing story today. In our experience with COVID-19 in the last year, we can relate to this. You know, I recently saw a, a, a crowd <laughs> in some ways. It was a, a long line of cars, miles and miles and miles of cars. I think it was in Florida of people waiting to receive a vaccine. And it was people who are, were waiting like through the night in this line to, to get the vaccine. We are, we are desperate for healing, for this vaccine to come, to, to, to restore us in some way to something that feels a little bit more like normal. I mean, yes, we have our virtual gatherings, but that kind of community is just not the same. And so we want a cure. We want something to come that will offer to us a restoration. So we're, we are doing what we can in the meantime, right? We are celebrating the work of, of medical professionals who are doing everything they can to care for those who are sick. We are, we are cheering on the scientists and the innovators who are coming up with vaccines that might offer us this kind of hope. We are finding our own ways in our own community to reach out with acts of love and compassion and care. But I will say that now that the vaccine is just right there, it's so, um, it's available, but yet we're waiting. Um, it has challenged us in some ways to examine who we are and, and how we think about healing. We might be like that clamoring crowd pushing, it's my turn, my vaccine. And as humans, we're trying to figure out just how to vaccinate millions and millions of people, right? And, and, and in doing so, in our very human ways, we begin to ask these questions. Who is the, who is the highest priority, right? Who is essential and, and who can wait? Humans, we categorize and prioritize, and that's how we figure out how to do this. But this is not the approach Jesus takes as a healer. Jesus isn't interested in only physical health. Jesus is interested in the person, in the relationships that that person maintains, in the work she does, in, the, in, the, in what, might, what it might take to restore her to healing physically, yes, but also emotionally and spiritually and relationally. So I wanna just focus in on, there's lots of healing stories in Mark, but I wanna focus in on this one. And it is where Jesus enters in and heals Simon's mother-in-law. And it's two verses, but really the whole thing happens in just one verse. It says, Jesus came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. Then the fever left her and she began to serve them. He came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. She, the fever left her and she began to serve them. So I wanna point out these two words in this healing story that really show us that Jesus is doing something far different than just healing a physical illness. So the first one is this, that he took her hand and lifted her up. Now we might think, oh, she must be old. She needs help to get off the bed or off the couch or wherever she's been sitting. But this word lifted up, egaro is the Greek word, egaro. And that word means to uh, arouse from sleep, but it also means to arouse from the sleep of death, to bring the dead to life. It's the same verb used in the resurrection story when they tell the women who had come to the tomb, he is not here, he has been raised, he has been lifted up. 
he has been aroused from the sleep of death. So Mark's gospel doesn't just end with the story of a resurrection. It begins with one, with this story of the healing of Simon's mother-in-law. This woman is resurrected. She is lifted up. Now we say, no wonder this crowd can't get enough of Jesus, right? Now, what's more, if it, as if resurrection wasn't enough, there is another piece here that is really important for us. The second half, where it talks about her beginning to serve. Now, this isn't just, this isn't a patriarchal story where the woman is healed so she can get up and fix the men dinner. No, this is more than that. The word that serve that is used here is this Greek word, diakonia, diakonia, and it means a life of service to God and neighbor. It's the word Mark uses again in chapter 10 when Jesus says the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. That Jesus is saying, my whole life is in this, to serve God in this world. And so when this woman is lifted up, resurrected, she is restored to a way of life that is service for God and for the whole world. She is restored, um, healed for a, a cause greater than her own self. She is healed and restored to the work of compassion and charity and hope in the world. She is restored to her place in community, in her family, in God's work, in her life. Now, I will say, that I am often very troubled by healing stories because I will spiral into a ton of questions about why some people experience healing and others do not. When I begin to think about prayer and our prayers for healing, I get really tripped up. Why do two people who get sick with the same disease or cancer pray with the same kind of faithfulness and one survives and the other dies? What does that say about our faithfulness or our prayers or about who God is in this world? And I want to say here that I, I want to sort of put this understanding of praying for healing for a cure aside and say that with this story about Simon's mother-in-law, Jesus is asking us to think about healing in a very different way. That healing is, uh, is more than about a cure. That when we as humans often hope and pray for a cure, we know that sometimes that just does not happen. And that a cure is not the central message of healing stories. It's not the point of our faith. It's not the central message of the gospel. The central message of the gospel is that Jesus came into the world to restore a person to spiritual wholeness. So we have to set aside this understanding and attraction to miraculous acts. More than that is happening here. In these stories of healing, those who suffer physically and mentally and spiritually and emotionally, they are disconnected from community. They are broken. They are often ostracized and forgotten. And so when Jesus heals them, there is restoration to one's place in the community. They belong once again to a people. They are named. They are significant. They have a place in the world. Jesus often will tell a person when he he heals, that their sins are forgiven or their faith has made them well. And statements like this are statements of restoration and wholeness. 
And I think this is the kind of healing that we are clamoring for as a collective global crowd today. I, I know so many people who feel cut off from community, who suffer in some way, maybe mental illness or physical um, ailment or whatever it may be that has them feeling shame or cut off from community. People who are, are suffering in silence because of a broken relationship or the loss of something or the hope for something that just isn't coming. People who are afraid to name a specific pain or longing because they don't know how it will be received. People who have been cut off because they are trying to avoid the reality of a mistake they have made. People who are, are, are throwing blame and blame and blame on everyone else and afraid to face who they are and the brokenness they feel inside. In so many ways, we are a people who need the kind of healing that Jesus offers, a new life, a restoration to a community of faith, a belonging to a people, a, a being made whole and new. This is what Jesus offers in this gift of healing, significance, restoration, belonging. This is why the, the healing of Simon's mother-in-law has resurrection language in it. Because this kind of a restoration to community, a restoration to spiritual wholeness, I think is one of the closest uh, glimpses we will have of the resurrection while we are still alive in this skin, on these bones, on this earth. When we live the Easter promise of resurrection, we proclaim that our work as the followers of Jesus is the work of restoration and hope in our world. You know, I think so often the name of Jesus gets misused and the followers of Jesus get stereotyped as uh, self-righteous, hypocritical, and judgmental, and much of the world doesn't want anything to do with Jesus or his followers. But I think if we can name and own this new understanding of healing as wholeness and restoration, of, of, um, then I think we reclaim Christianity as a movement of, of, of humility and compassion and justice and restoration. Then I think the world will not just be about to turn it will be a whole new creation. Now, this is no easy work. This takes time. It takes our dedication. It takes our trust in a God who is continually at work in and through and among us. A mantra of a music director that I worked with years ago was this. We are an Easter people and Alleluia is our song. Now, I've seen that quote attributed to Pope John Paul II and also to St. Augustine. And whoever said it first, I don't really care as much as I care that we are people who would claim it as our own, carry it in our very being. If we live in our souls this kind of healing, if we seek restorative, the restorative work of forgiveness and justice and community in our world, if we keep speaking of resurrection now and not only someday after we die, then we reclaim the name of Jesus. Then 
And this is a big then, right? The crowds will come. The people will need, want, be desperate to hear a, a word of healing like that. They will be clamoring to see and to know our Jesus. They will lift up their hands and their hearts and their voices in praise, and they will stand in awe of what our God can do. And we will say, God is at work. Thanks be to God. Amen.